things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with yours truly, coming at you as I love to do uh, from my studios, all right? Thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the No Mercy podcast. You know, <clears throat> the NBA is going on, you know, and so I know that everybody is waiting. All right, what does Stephen A got to say next? Because the NBA playoffs are going on, okay? But every now and then, we need a reprieve. We need to dial it back. We need to meditate a little bit. We need to just lay back, recline, and look at the stars. The stars. Now, I know people are saying, what the hell am I talking about? When I talk about looking at the stars, I mean literally. I mean, I know I'm in L.A. and some of y'all think I'm talking about the Walk of Fame. I know y'all look at me and y'all see the backdrop. Y'all say L.A. Tinseltown. It's the playoffs. LeBron's about to go up against Steph Curry. That's got to be what he's talking about when he's talking about the stars. No. Hell, some of y'all think I'm talking about a Zodiac sign. I am a Libra after all. We are special. But I'm not talking about that either. I'm literally talking about the stars in the sky. Because... I'm about to have a conversation with somebody. And you ain't going to believe who this conversation is with. You ain't going to believe what this conversation is about. This conversation is going to be about COVID. It's going to be about Mars. It's going to be about, it's going to be about all types of stuff, the environment, everything. Because when you're talking to an astrophysicist, what the hell you expect me to do? You got to show your range. You got to be fluid. Fluid. You got to diversify. You got to be enlightened. You got to be willing to learn. And who better to do that on a subject like this than the one and only Neil deGrasse Tyson. Stephen A. and DeGrasse Tyson, what the hell is going on? I got news for you. I had a blast talking to this brother. I learned. I am edified. I am modified. I, I had to look at myself. I had to look in the mirror. And to turn around and look at myself and say, I'm a bit enlightened. I have learned the errors of my ways. And dare I say, I walked away a better man and a better human being because of it. 
And you know what? You might too, after listening to this conversation. I promise you, if nothing else, you're going to learn and you're going to have a smile on your face while doing it. Starry Messenger, Cosmic Perspectives on Civilization. That is the title of his book. Do you know I actually read some of it? Seriously. Seriously, I did. That's what sitting down with the brother will do to you. The stars descending down upon you to enlighten. Anything's possible. DeGrasse Tyson and Stephen A. Together, right here on No Mercy. Hell, that don't tell you anything possible. I don't know what. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is an all-star and a rock star in astrophysics. He's popularized science by making it accessible and understandable to people like you and me. In doing so, he's raised the interest in learning a more and more and more about our universe. Some people call him the modern-day Albert Einstein. I don't know if he likes that. I'm going to ask him about that. But please welcome the one and only Neil deGrasse Tyson. What's going on, Neil? How are you, man? Long time no see. How have you been, buddy? Thank you. Thank you. That's a, you know, I feel like I... It, it's the WWF or something. I got to come out of <laughs> where the fireworks and the, and the lights and the, you know, uh, but no, but thank you for that warm introduction, man, and, man, please. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate your greatness. It's been years. You and I've met, uh, and, and I was, I, I was granted permission to say this by the one and only Whoopi Goldberg. You and I it met was, it indeed at, at was. Whoopi Goldberg's it, party. Yeah. I mean, one of her uh, her gatherings. Party. yes. Indeed. That's right. We were talking about it. Let me ask you this question. I mean, as you sit here today, you've got, uh, you're obviously an author, uh, astrophysics. I mean, the things that you've done and the things that you've accomplished. As you sit here today, looking at the world that is, how are you feeling about it? Oh, you know, I'm very, I have very mixed feelings. Okay. All right. The urge, which so many people respond to the urge is to say the world is fucked up okay yes. and we get we, it needs a lot of work on every in every direction that it looks like the, the 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 winds of progressive change are stalling or even going backwards a hard fought uh, civil rights mm-hmm. um gains uh not only it, historically for black people but moving on forward for women mm-hmm. for gays other sort of underrepresented folks in society who are not the majority mm-hmm. right and so it's it's easy to say things have never been this bad however my father was active in the civil rights movement and he in the 1960s and 70s in fact he worked under mayor lindsay in new york city and by the way he was never bitter he always said to us i was growing up he said you know these people just don't know better this is how they were raised that this is how they think and it's actually not their fault Let's have this conversation. But what I can tell you is, when I look back, and I do a lot of looking back, there is no time I would rather be alive than in the present. No time. Why not? Oh, because it was worse in the past. Okay. okay? 
it was, and I can measure this. I, I have certain metrics. Some are simple. Some are a little more complex. For example, I live in New York City, in Manhattan. If I want to go north in a taxi and I'm south of Harlem, there's a certain percentage of yellow taxis that would not stop for me. They were fully available, but they just wouldn't stop. Black man going north, he might want to go to Harlem and we don't want to take him there. Mm. Uh, in fact, the city knew this and understood it and created a whole subdivision of taxis that serve Harlem, all right? Because there were yellow taxis that would not, it was almost, it was almost endorsing the fact that you had racist taxi cab drivers, all right? So, so, but, and you look back not long ago, was it early 1970s in the Sunday uh, uh, weekend paper? Mm -hmm. They had multiple sports sections, entertainment, and there was the women's section. Mm. How soon we forget this. The whip that had the recipes and the coupons and all the things that the woman needs to be the housewife for the man who works, mm. right? And so these are times I think it's easy for people to forget this. Go back a little further, all right? Let's go back to the Second World War, all right? I know that feels far back, but it's to make a point. Okay. Between 1939 and 1945, I did the math on this. One thousand people were killed per hour for every hour of that war wow per hour right mm. now a few people die in some tragic way or through some racist attitude and then it's national headlines that's actually progress over what had been happening before we didn't think of the war in terms of human death toll day to day mm -hmm. it was did we conquer this beach did we get that you know did we where's the line of forces and have they moved mm -hmm. nobody's actually tallying up the dead all right so so no there is no time and i if we had a time machine here um i, I would say take a black person a black man a, a black person women and anyone of color or anyone who is uh, on the gender spectrum and say pick a time in the past where you were better off. I don't know that you can find a time than in the present. And in fact, you'll probably turn the knob and say, send me to the future mm -hmm. <laughs> because that's a, that, I think that's where it'll be better. But So anyhow, that's my long intro but to your you question. Do, but, but you do have folks. And I think that a lot of times, because I, obviously I was born in 1967. Um, obviously that's, you know, to some degree post-civil rights era, to some degree anyway. You look at the times that we're experiencing. If you're not old enough, you may not know better. But there are people who are older who still say, it's worse now than it was before. And the rationale behind that thinking, Neil, is the uncertainty. It's the uncertainty is that nothing appears to be finite anymore. Back in the day, clearly you knew if, as it pertained to civil rights, black people and civil rights were being denied, et cetera, et cetera. Today, are you a man? Are you a woman? What the, the, the crime that's taking place in the streets of America and beyond people look at all of these things in a level of uncertainty and they say that uncertainty is what makes times now worse than what it was before that's what older folks some older folks have said what do you say to that okay so uncertainty is another kind of measure of things mm -hmm. where you're not quite sure what tomorrow is going to bring okay. what we did know or at least hope for or pray for or wish for decades ago was that the future would be brighter that there was a trend line in the in the progressive movement. However, with its fits and starts, there was still 
Yeah, this is the Martin Luther King speech. We shall overcome. I've seen the mountaintop. I've been to the mountaintop. All these speeches, the attitude, the mood, not only social culturally, but also scientifically. Right? If you're born in 67, that's still, I think, old enough to maybe remember yeah. uh, magazines that talked about the city of tomorrow. Yes. The homes of tomorrow, transportation of tomorrow, food of tomorrow. There was a lot of tomorrow thought. And so in that regard, I have to agree with you in the following way. Today, when I think of tomorrow, is like, will there be a tomorrow? Yes. <laughs> is, there, yes. is climate change going to take right. out our major cities? Is the, is the next virus going to, you know, there are these, there are these, there are these existential threats. AI, right? Artificial so intelligence. May, maybe the, the, the angst that the old timers have is because they don't have confidence that there will even be a tomorrow. And that's a problem. That's definitely a problem. But otherwise, if you look at the metrics mm -hmm. of how people are treated, how, you know, by the way, when I was growing up, the only black people in movies or in television, if they were not athletes or, or, or entertainers, they were in a script, uh, in a play, or they were there because that character had to be black for some reason. Mm. They weren't just simply actors playing a role, right? So there was still the ghettoization of what you could be and become as a black man in America, a black person in America. Mm -hmm. And to, to, to be anything other than that was the exception. Now you turn on the TV, there are black people everywhere. Yeah. My, my brother, I remember this distinctly. One day he came running, mommy, daddy, daddy, turn on the TV. We had actually two TVs in the house, mm -hmm. which was luxurious. Turn on the TV. I said, what, what? There's a black person in a TV commercial. And we all crowded yeah. around and watched the commercial right. because that it was like a stunning difference in what any of us had grown up seeing. So again, there are real shifts. And I try to at least track that because mm -hmm. whatever we did to make to achieve that, I want to do more of that now mm. rather than complain about the bad stuff, which you have to do, mm -hmm. find out what is good and let's also do more of what is good. And then there's some kind of balance of action mm. as we go forward. Got to ask you this because I had to look up astrophysicist. I had to, make, right. I had to look it up. And, and, and I'm reading from the very definition of it here, Neil. It says, studies the universe to help us understand the physical matter and processes in our own solar system and other galaxies. It involves studying large objects such as planets as well as tiny particles. That's the simplistic definition of it as far as I'm concerned. But I, I bring that up. Because when we see about when we see you, we see you everywhere. Anytime it has anything to do with what, quote unquote, science, you know, and the kind of definition that I just viewed. Everybody wants to hear from Neil deGrasse Tyson. I watched you on Larry King years ago. I've watched you in various places. Obviously, I talked to you when I when I saw you at Whoopi Goldberg's house. And, and, and your thinking, your level of thinking just fascinates me because there's a level of pragmatism that I find to be very, very healthy. As you look in today's world with everything that you just highlighted, can one easily say the biggest problem is emotion as opposed to pragmatism? Wow, that's, you know, that's a very perceptive question. Uh, let me back up, let me back Please. out of that alley just a little bit, because that's an important place to, to land. Um, I think emotion, unbridled emotion, may very well be the source of our greatest art, all right? Because art, at its best, is not following some logical plan, and it can, I suppose, but for me, the best art of any kind, 
the, the novelist, the painter, the sculptor, the, the, the screenwriter, the set designer, the, the very greatest of creative arts come from a place in us that is decidedly human. And I think th that emotional layering uh, is important for, for, the, for the character of the world. When I look at one of my favorite pictures, I, it, it's portrayed behind me on my wall. It, it's a copy of uh, Van Gogh's The Starry Night. Mm -hmm. We've all seen or at least heard of that painting. I've heard of it. Swirling uh, images in the cloud. And, and you look at that, and I can tell you as an astrophysicist, that is not what the man saw because this guy does not, it so does not look like that. Right. However, I'm totally all in with saying that's what he felt when he saw the sky. And I'm good with that. So art is a way to experience reality through the lens of others who might feel a little more deeply about things than you do. So now the problem comes about is if you want to take these emotions and not create art out of it, but you want to uh, govern with it, mm. or you want to say, let me invent a new kind of airplane with my emotions, <laughs> that's not right. going to work, okay? Right. At some point, you got to sit down and say, bring in the engineer, all right? Bring in the science, bring in the designer, and together, they will create something that will help advance civilization. Is it a new form of transportation, food production? Um, housing, uh, structures, whatever it might be. So now, I don't want to say that emotion is bad. I will say we need it, but we have to prioritize how, when, and where it gets invoked. And when we have to prioritize it, one of the things that would be required as far as I'm concerned, if you're talking about the betterment for humanity, is that you'd have to care enough to want to do the right things as opposed to getting what you want. All and right. So that's another really excellent point. And I'm on the fence about this. Okay. I'll tell you why. Uh, I have a lot of very talented, really smart colleagues. All right. All my colleagues were the folks that were like getting all the A's in your class. Okay. You know? <laughs> Listen, if they're astrophysicists, if they're colleagues of yours, I'm quite sure they're smart. I mean, okay. I, I, I don't think I, I think it's safe to say there's no dumb astrophysicist. You know, I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm just guessing. But I'm just I think that's yeah, an educated no, guess. You just you just spitballing there thinking maybe. <laughs> no, no, it's it's a it's a brilliant community of folk. Mm -hmm. And so but here's here's an interesting feature of this. You, you, a society can ask itself, what do, do, what do we do with all our smart people? Does the society say, we want to cure cancer, so put them all to cure cancer or to, to solve poverty or to, but you know, whatever is the big issue, you task them to it. You could do that, I suppose, and I understand why. However, in a free society, which is what we say we live in yes. here in the United States, a person should be able to apply their smarts or their ingenuity in whatever way they want, mm -hmm. provided it doesn't subtract from the freedoms of others. And so uh, what I'm getting at here is there are people who say, why are we spending money in space when we should be spending money down here where there the problems are? And I'm saying, well, there are people who like space. All right, I'll, I'll give an example. And depending on how much uh, attention you give to the roads you drive on. Mm -hmm. I uh, do. Okay, on some off-ramps that are tight, there are actually grooves in the pavement that when you make the turn, the tires grip more strongly 
in the groove pavement than they otherwise would. Absolutely. That prevents cars from careening off to the embankment. Right. That sounds like a, uh, well, that's a rec relatively recent, 15 years, 20 years. It's relatively recent. Well, who thought that up? You know who thought that up? Somebody who worked for NASA, mm. who noticed that the space shuttle, which when it lands, space shuttle doesn't have engines when it lands. So it's all aerodynamic and it's got a parachute, mm. a, you know, a drogue chute behind it. Mm -hmm. And so there it is. And apparently if there's a crosswind, it's hard to keep the shuttle lined up. <clears throat> and so they said, let's groove the pavement, which will make it much easier for the shuttle to stay on course. They did that. The photo op at the end, the shuttle's not all angled off to the side. It is perfectly centered on the thing. That got applied to these off-ramps. And my, my point is, you didn't have to have an aerospace engineer to come up with these grooves. But that's exactly what happened, okay? Right. <laughs> that's, that's something that's simple. It, it's not clear anyone else would have come up with that because who loves off-ramps from interstates? No, who, who gives us? Yeah. Nobody cares. But people love space. They love the space shuttle. They love exploration. Mm. And out of that comes discoveries that are inspired by people's desire to make a difference in those fields. And more often than not, they can apply back down to Earth and better our lives. Give me an example of what's been discovered in space that has been advantageous to human beings right here on Earth. Let me give you the most abstract answer to that, okay. which um, you're probably looking for a tangible answer. I, I'm I get looking that, for whatever answer, Neil deGrasse whatever, Tyson. Okay, you ready? You ready? No, you're not ready. You ready? Yes. You ready? You Are you seated? You ready? I'm seated. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, 1968. Okay. Apollo 8 okay. leaves Earth. It is the first time anyone has ever left Earth yes. for a destination. Okay. It goes to the moon, orbits the moon, and then comes back. They didn't land. So people forget Apollo 8 because there was no Neil Armstrong moment right. for them. I was getting ready to say Neil Armstrong. Go ahead. Right, right, exactly. He came later. He came the, a year, six months later, seven, seven months later, July 1969, mm -hmm. Apollo 11. Here's my point. We go to the moon to explore the moon. But you know what happens? Mm. We got there, looked over our shoulder, and discovered Earth for the first time. And there it was. And it didn't look, it, there were no color-coded countries, like in your schoolroom globe. No. The Earth was there in all its majesty, as only nature would have you perceive it with oceans and land and clouds mm. adrift in space that will change you and you realize that first photo of earthrise over the lunar we know the photo mm -hmm. one of the most famous pictures ever taken between 1969 and 1972 when we clearly had other priorities in this world, we had a cold war with the Soviet Union, a hot war in Southeast Asia. We were coming on the tail end of the civil rights movement. The women's lib movement was ready for its second wave. There was campus unrest, political turmoil. 1968, oh my gosh, two assassinations, riots in the cities. <clears throat> you know what happened after we saw that image of Earth? What? We said, hey, um, let's create the Environmental Protection Agency founded in 1970. Let's create the Earth Day, 
1970. That's the first Earth Day. Wow. Could have had Earth Day in 1960. Did anybody think of it? No. No. 1950? 1980? After, after the Vietnam War is over? No. We thought that up right while we were walking on the moon. And not only that, that's when we banned leaded gas, banned DDT, created a, um, a comprehensive Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act. And you know that TV commercial with the, the crying Indian? You know, We all know yes. that. It was a... It was yes. a a public service announcement. It was a public service announcement, yeah. you know, you know, Native Americans and how they had been victimized throughout American history. Uh, and that really personified it. Absolutely. And, and someone threw trash out the window yeah. and it landed at his feet. So it's to keep America clean. Holding aside that that actor for that ad was of Italian descent. Okay. Wow. Back then, you'd get away with that kind of yeah. thing. Can't right? pull it off now. No, no one will allow that. Yeah. But when was that commercial? 1970. It's so, so my point is there was a, it was as though there was a firmware upgrade in human awareness of earth as a planet and thus was born the modern conservation movement. Yeah. People cared if your pond was polluted or your stream, but no one was thinking globally mm. at the time. Oh, by the way, NOAA was founded, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. We started thinking maybe this is all connected, the ocean and the air and the land. Mm. This was a new understanding of the world. Mm. And we didn't say, let's go to space so that we have a new okay. understanding. We didn't start out that way. Okay. But, but, but so, so you can add up the cost of going to the moon and say, how much is Earth worth to you? Mm. Great way to end that soliloquy because you're absolutely on point, but it begs me, it begs this question from me. What the hell is wrong seemingly with half of our nation, if not half the world, who doesn't seem to be paying attention to what's going on atmospherically or beyond based on everything you just highlighted? You've got a lot of people that get accused of being environmentalists, a bit overprotective. You know, they, they focused on the environment and what's best for us. you got a lot of others that ignore them, okay, and say, excuse me, I ain't got any problems. There's nothing going on. Just live our lives. So what? You're in private jets. So what? You got you using fuel for gasoline. What's all these, you know, these battery-charged cars? What's the need for all of that? What? Clearly, we're a divided nation when it comes to stuff like that. Where's the right way to land with all of that, Neil? You're telling me that I suck at my job. <laughs> <laughs> I am not telling you you suck at your job. Yes, you not are. at all. I'm saying, saying no matter how brilliant you are, they don't want to listen to you. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I got I'm you. Sorry. I got you. <laughs> no, so uh, I think it only matters to people, not everyone, but there is a subset of people where things only matter to them if they feel it. It hits their pocketbook or right. their property or their loved ones. And or their bodies, physically, like COVID. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So here's an interesting fact. Um, as the air temperature rises, we start melting the ice in Antarctica and Greenland. And that ice, which has been there for tens of thousands of years, melts into the ocean and the ocean levels rise. Do you realize most of the most important cities in the world are on the water's edge? Yeah. For very good reason. It provided irrigation in some cases, transportation, uh, provides um, uh, all manner of access to places other than before there were airplanes. So, so if you start raising the water levels, we will lose our greatest cities in the world. 
And not to mention, name some of those cities, by the way. Name some of those cities for for my my viewers. It's on the ocean edge, Los Angeles. Doesn't matter. Pick one. Doesn't matter. You have to be Denver or something that's (laughs) deep interior to not have this affect you. Okay. So, so, uh, and yes, plenty of cities are interior, but the greatest historical cities are all on the water's edge. London, you all have rivers moving through them, which provided transportation for commerce and for, and for other reasons for travel. My point is, oh, and and I was saying in the South Pacific, there are entire island nations where the, 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 the average level of their land is what, five feet, six feet above sea level, something like that. And it will wipe out entire, entire nations. Here's my here's the point. An interesting point, I think. Many very wealthy people have second homes. And those second homes tend to be like on waterfronts. <laughs> so maybe that's what it takes. All right? right. We flood out their second home on the waterfront, those who might have been rich and in denial mm-hmm. of all this, and then finally have them sit up straight. They say, maybe we should do something about it. Because those are the folks with, I don't know if they have all the power, but they have quite a bit of influence and as well as some power. Right to make the changes that we're not seeing. How did you feel when the COVID-19 pandemic hit and you had the world transfixed, obviously, on this pandemic and the collateral damage it caused, yet there were people who were defiant about not listening to the science, not following instructions in terms of what would be best, what would keep us safe, what would keep us healthy, et cetera, et cetera. There were obviously people who paid rapt attention to it, were more receptive to it. Over seven, eight billion people got vaccinated, for example, at that time. But you also had others who were defiant and totally resistant to it. What was that period like for you witnessing all of that unfold? Yeah, I think it it was a test case, really. And I think we failed, or I give us a C minus, mm. or maybe a D plus. Is that an actual grade? Do D's have D plus, D plus is a grade because I had one before. You got a D plus. Okay. <laughs> that, was, that, was, you know, that was a real grade. That's a real grade. Okay. Yeah. okay. All right. You turned out okay, though. I turned, turned out, out okay. okay. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Go ahead. All right. So uh, uh, C minus or D plus. Okay. So there are two. Let me unpack that. Okay. So a lot of the anti-vax sentiment was birthed in the liberal community who has historically been anti-pharma and big business. All right. The folks on the right have never really been anti-big business. So if they're going to be anti-vax, that's not really going to be the reason why. So what happens is, especially under Trump, we had a conservative right-wing movement who said, I don't want the government forcing me to get vaccinated. I don't want the government telling me. I don't want the government. So it was kind of anti-government reach. So this is an entire community of people who don't have a, uh, a sense or an appreciation of public health, mm-hmm. right? Where, where you have an accountability to others rather than to just yourself. Mm-hmm. And these two communities met on opposite sides of, of the same fence. And then they became part of the total sort of vaccine hesitant community. Some were just outright anti-vax, but collectively they called vaccine hesitant. So uh, what do I have to say about that? Um, 
I don't remember the exact latest numbers, but the lethality rate was somewhere between one and a half and three percent of people who caught COVID would die from it. And for a while there, most of the people dying from it were people who were not vaccinated. And what I realized is, wow, I think a lot of people don't understand statistics and probability and how, how numbers work and how you might make a decision based on those numbers. I wrote a book recently about bringing science to our everyday lives in our culture and in our civilization. There's a whole chapter called Risk and Rewards, mm -hmm. which explores- and By the, the way, is that, in your book, is that in your book, Starry Messenger? Starry Messenger, okay. exactly. Okay, go ahead. Cosmic Perspectives on Civilization. And there's among the many chapters, mm -hmm. one of them explores how we misthink statistics uh, biased by our own desire for an outcome that is not otherwise supported mm -hmm. by, the, by the data. And so, so it's an exploration on how I'm trying to be a guide for people so they can make more informed decisions about their lives. But here's my point. I wonder if COVID were 50% lethal instead of down in the single digits, whether you'd have people saying, I don't want to get vaccinated, I care about my freedom, and then a week later they're dead. This would be very visible news to others who were denying the vaccines. And so, so maybe, maybe COVID was not lethal enough to convert people from being against it to recognizing the actual value of vaccines. I got to tell that, you. That, for, that's a, it's a morbid thought. Yeah, but it's true. It's probably true. It's a sad true. thought. It's probably but true. I think it's, I think it's true. Hey. Hey, Neil, I, t I have to confess to you, when I first was approached about needing to take the vaccine as the face of ESPN, per se, and all this stuff that they were saying, I didn't hesitate. I never wanted to take the vaccine. But I would tell you, number one, if that's what the scientists were saying, that's what the doctors were saying, I wanted to lean towards that. But the biggest reason I felt compelled to do it was because it wasn't just about me. If there are other people out there that I could potentially harm. This is the social contract. I was willing to you, take the chance. You picked up on that. Right. Oh, and by the way, I got to throw this in Please. there. The, the black community, of course, has still memory fresh from, from this Tuskegee That's experiments right. and, and the relationship between the professional medical this, community and, our community. and the history of no, being black in America. No question. So there's an easy solution to that, okay? What you do is, if you're a black person, just get on the vaccine line between two white people. <laughs> so, you, know, you know, I'm glad you said that, Neil. I'm glad you said that because let me tell you something right now. When, when, when I sat up there and I, and, and I looked at, listen, you got to remember, everybody keeps forgetting to see the, the, the Tuskegee experiment. You had people get placebo shots for crying out loud, you know, injected with syphilis and, and you got placebo shots. It wasn't, it wasn't doing anything for you. In this instance, you had millions of white folks Getting the vaccine. Lined I was up. like That's this. Right. Hell with that. They get the, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it must it, it must be okay. <laughs> I mean, right. I, almost that was almost your mentality. Like, wait a minute, this, yeah, ain't, it's a this, ain't, logic. this ain't the experiment back in the day. No, this is a different. So, but just to be clear, in the Tuskegee, they didn't yeah. inject they did it. the men right. with, with it, but they, they said they were treating them with experimental drugs and, and things, but it was not. It was all placebo so they, they can watch the progress correct. of the disease. As they as they observe the black men die, that's right. right. So that's the 
I mean, it's no less of a tragedy. Yes. I'm saying that. But they that, didn't that inject happened. them with it. I got it. So right, I, exactly. Yeah, I knew that. I just I just misspoke. So I appreciate the and correction. Another, I got another one for Please you. Please do. Which is, which is if, let's say you went into the hospital with COVID and never came out again because you died. Mm -hmm. If you didn't know that person, that's not very close information to you, right? It's just a, it's just a statistic. Now watch. When the polio vaccine came out, you knew that people who got polio, some died, but those who survived it, they're on crutches. Mm -hmm. And you see them in the street. Mm -hmm. And so it would be easy then to say, would you like to get the polio vaccine or do you want to get polio? You know, which the, here's your choice. And so, so maybe the, 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 the mechanics of it all were not scary enough to convince people that they would be better off with the vaccine than without it. Mm. And I, and I, like I said, I don't, I don't want to wish a worse virus in the world just to convince people i'd rather use logic and reason and 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 also some compassion all right i get it we don't want the government to overreach but you don't want to kill your grandmother right in the process mm. uh, now, do you have but, any feelings about but that? neil where do you go from there because clearly there's been an erosion of trust not only in science but in what was once proven institutions in a lot of yeah. people's eyes. Yeah. Considering yeah. Yeah. that reality, where does somebody like you go who lives in, I, I want to say facts, who lives in science? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, evidence. these I'm, things I live in evidence-based life. That's what. Excuse me? That's, I live in evidence-based life. Evidence-based life. I love that. I'm yeah. using that. I'm stealing that from you. I'm telling you right okay, now. I'm stealing that from it. you. Okay. <laughs> evidence-based life. That's the reality that you live in. So where do you go from here when there's been such an erosion of trust in science and beyond? I I'm going to get a little philosophical on okay. you. Okay. You ready? Okay. Um, you know the character Don Quixote? One of the more famous images of him is when he, you know, he's a knight and he's got a uh, the spear, the joust, whatever that's called. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's looking at a windmill and he wants to fight the windmill. Now that's just an absurd thing to even contemplate, right. but even if he attempted it, he would just lose. All right. <laughs> the wind is moving the mill. And, and so then why is he doing this? We would ask. And then if you sort of dig a little deeper, I'm reminded of the Broadway musical based on the Don Quixote story. And it was called man of La Mancha. And it was a musical. And one of the songs we all remember was called To Dream the Impossible Dream. We all know this song. If you hear it, you'll recognize it. And if you look at the lyrics of this song, they're the lyrics that I remind myself of when I confront tasks that feel impossible. So this first to dream the impossible dream, I'm paraphrasing here, but there's things like to move the immovable object to stop the irresistible force. My favorite one is to march into hell for a heavenly cause. Mm. All right. The, maybe none of that will work, but that's not reason to stop trying because the day you stop trying, you might as well give up on civilization and we all just walk back into the cave because mm. that's where we'll end up anyway. So I will not stop fighting the irresistible force. And I won't stop trying to move the immovable object because uh, as an educator and as a citizen who cares about our country, about the world, about civilization, 
I, I have to keep trying. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Does Neil deGrasse Tyson care more or less about society and humanity now compared to when you first started considering all the things that somebody like yourself has to deal with from an immense, from a mental perspective because of the challenges you've witnessed just by yeah, virtue of so what you do and how you think. Society is a fascinating place. Uh, and mix in there, of course, which is part of it, pop culture. All right. I rely on my knowledge of pop culture to reach people as an educator. Right. So I'll watch some TV shows I might not have otherwise seen, but everyone else has seen them. So I want to I want to be, be conversant with them mm -hmm. in case I can see a place where I can insert some science because everyone walks around with a pop culture scaffold. Let's call it that. And I don't have to teach you the pop culture. That's the definition of pop culture. We all have a common language there. I say, hey, I can put some science like on the side of that or on the edge of that. I'll give an example. This is now how many, four years ago, pre-COVID. Yep. Um, BC, before COVID. Yes, yes. yes <laughs> I'm channel it's surfing. It's appropriate, yep. And the Cincinnati Bengals are playing the, the Seahawks. And it, the game ended in a tie. And there was, it was like 20 minutes before my next commitment. I said, let me I'll watch the overtime. All right, the sudden, the 15-minute the overtime period. So they play the overtime period. There's the requisite exchange of, of, of possession. Then it went into sudden death. And the Bengals have the ball. And they're like at the 55-yard line, okay, on, toward, or whatever. No, sorry. Mm -hmm. They were ready to kick for a field goal. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be like a 52-yard field goal, all right, because they hike it and that adds mm -hmm. to the line of scrimmage. All right. So there it is. They went, they went for it. And so there's the, 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 the hike and the kick and no one breathes, right? While the ball right. is tumbling. And there's the ball tumbling and everyone is watching it. And I saw it hit the left upright and careen in for the win. Mm. And I said, whoa, let me check something real quick. Did a fast calculation. Then I tweeted. Within 15 minutes of that, I tweeted. I said, the Cincinnati field goal Sudden death field goal for the win was aided by a third of an inch deflection to the right because of Earth's rotation. People lost their minds. Okay? <laughs> They're like, what are you talking about? They were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, so the Cincinnati newspapers said, um, God assisted <laughs> the right. in their But my point is, so, so this is a, something called the Coriolis force. And once I saw the orientation of the stadium, I could do the calculation. Because Earth turns, uh, depending on where which direction a ball goes, its path will actually curve. And it's that curve appear to curve and that curve is what makes storms circulate mm. and i would have subsequent tweets to add a little extra science to it but my only point of telling you this is i didn't have to say who the Bengals were right i didn't have to say what a what a, a sudden death means i didn't have to say what a field goal was all that's built into the pop culture that i am surfing to then teach you some science so my hope 
that got, that keeps me animated is that if I can stay with you on your pop culture, the things you care about just by being alive in society, mm -hmm. I have a chance of infusing it with a little bit of science that you will now care about that you might not have ever thought to think of before. So if you care about that science and you're thinking about something you never thought of before and you accomplish exactly what you're aiming to accomplish, to elevate one's thinking, one's mind's eye towards science, what is that going to do for us? Oh, well, okay. Oh, 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 glad you asked that. Uh, of what value is a scientifically literate population? Okay. Oh, that I'm rewording it, but I think you that's are what rewording you mean it, there. but that's that's perfect. You perfectly okay. reworded it. Right. Far right. more intellectual so, than I ever could. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. That's exactly what I wanted to say. All right. So, not oh words. my gosh. So, think about it. Uh, a lot of the arguments that go on now in Congress, by the way, the, there are more former attorneys in Congress than any other profession. Yeah. And lawyers are basically professional arguers. Right. Whether or not there's a political dimension to it, that's what they do. Or they truth. argue. Hey, I mean, okay. they, they're just looking for their angle, their spin. They, they, they will argue this now, so they like to argue because that's what they do. Now you layer partisan politics on top of their urge to argue. I'm surprised anything ever gets done mm. in Congress. So now watch. you didn't even bring up the lobbyists and money. Well, exactly, yeah. exactly. So now watch. So if. Because I don't, I don't, in all of my public posturings, I never really talk about politicians themselves. Right. Why? Because in an elective democracy, they're representing somebody who voted them into office. Right. So it's not, so if a politician says something a little weird or objectively false, maybe it's because the people who voted for them think That's that. That's right. Their constituency are just as weird as they it's are. It's their constituency. So, right. I, so what I do is I turn around and say, well, who is their constituency? There's an educator, and then I go talk to them. Mm -hmm. And so now watch. If you have a scientifically literate public, you would have never voted people into office who would say things like, well, I'm not sure about this climate change. I don't trust the science on mm -hmm. this. I'm going to trust my gut. That, that would never happen. Would happen. And you know what would happen? Everyone would agree on the science, and then they go behind closed doors and duke out the politics of it. Like, are you going to put tariffs on Chinese... Um, uh, solar panels? Are you going to boost an industry here? Those have political solutions. But at the moment you start arguing the science, you are wasting my time and the ticking bomb that is the collapse of civilization. What about people in faith-based faith environments, obviously religions and things of that nature that I've, they, I don't want to say they shirk and shove aside science, but nothing comes before what they would classify as their spirituality. How do you deal with the challenge of trying to reach those folks? That's a great question. So, uh, you know, we live in a country where it is top amendment to the Constitution that your religious uh, preferences are protected. Again, provided they don't subtract from someone else's freedoms. So, in this country, you can have within a you know a few square miles a mosque, a synagogue, a, a temple, a, you know all manner of religious worship can happen in the same zone. And I think sometimes we take that for granted that this is something that not only exists but is basically I think one of the prouder points of this country that we can do that. A lot of 
Immigrants came here because they were persecuted for their beliefs coming from wherever they once were. So they came here for those freedoms. So I will never want to take that away, of course, not only because it's constitutional, but because people should live for their, as we say in our founding documents, their pursuit of happiness. All right. So now, if in your holy book, there's a statement there that you firmly believe and you hold to be dear, but it's not in someone else's holy book, and then you rise to power over laws and legislation. And now you want to make a law based on what's in your holy book that has to apply to people who use a different holy book? That's a problem. That is a recipe for the collapse of the civilization. Well, you know what you're talking about. You're talking about so much uh, so much about America because of the bevy of, uh, of different uh, religions and religious beliefs. You're talking about Israel and Palestine. We're talking about Iran, Iraq, the Shiites, the Sunnis. You're talking, I mean, everywhere you turn a- across the globe exists exactly what you just highlighted. Correct. And so the problem comes about, and I one of the chapters of the book is called Truth and Beauty. And I describe what I call three different varieties of truth. So one of them is the, a personal truth. And this is the kind you find within religions. It's if Jesus is your savior, you know that to your bones, no one is going to take that from you. However, if you require that someone else think exactly that same way in a free society, that will take an extraordinary act of persuasion, typically, or in the limit, all-out war. Mm. And the history of civilization has revealed this. These are the holy wars, religious wars. Right? You're not my religion. We pray to different gods. I will kill you because you're not going to worship my God. That's the limit of that. All right. That's a personal truth. Another kind of truth, I'd say, is like a, is like a political truth. This is something that becomes true in your head because it got repeated so many times, right? So, by the way, propaganda is that. Why did the Germans in the 1930s think they were the supreme race on earth? Mm. They got fed that constantly. And if you're going to be the supreme race, you have to denigrate other races so that you can look down on them. So everything that was not them, the Jews, the blacks, the gypsies, uh, even Catholics, okay? And uh, handicapped people, oh my gosh. All right. So you can be brainwashed by repeated um, information that may or may not be true, okay? And typically when it's weaponized in this way, it's not true, but they have to get you to believe it to then take action. A third kind of truth is what scientists do. It's objective truths. And these are truths, when we discover what is true and experiments verify it, oh my gosh, it is true whether or not you believe it. That's, and if so, it seems to me, if you're going to base legislation and laws on some kind of a truth, it should be on objective truths that actually apply to everybody. And so, in religion, I would say, uh, no one is going to run into your Sunday school and tell the preacher what to teach the class. You're not going to have atheists. Atheists don't, what goes on in churches is sacred in all groups, Okay. No, no one, and, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a protected zone in our culture and in the seven days of the week. And so my point is, if you want to come out of that and declare something that your holy book said is true, if science shows that it's objectively false, 
it that has should have no access to the science classroom. You could teach it in the religion classroom because that's the religion. That's fine. Mm. But if you are steeped in the revealed truths of holy books, which so much we have shown to be objective, I don't want to say objectively false because that sounds rough, mm -hmm. but no, it, the, the universe was not created in six days. No. And it's way older than 6,000 years. We got this. All right. But I'm not going to stop you from thinking that and feeling that in Sunday school. Mm. But if you think that and feel that, you should not become head of NASA because no. we got, we're we exploring the universe where the methods and tools of science mm -hmm. that deliver to us objective truths matter. And the future of civilization, technology depends on this. You talk about tech, what technology depends on, and, I, and maybe this is not technology per se, uh, but in a roundabout way, touching on some of the things you just alluded to, uh, we're living in a time now where you're born a man and you can say, I, I believe I'm a woman and there's a sex change. Same thing with a woman becoming a man, those kind of things. How does that fall into, because that doesn't fall under quote unquote religious beliefs. Some would say to some degree it falls under science because it involves medicine in terms of the injection of hormones and things of that nature to alter your body physically. We don't, I, I'm a person that openly admits, I don't know what to say. I don't even know how to ask the, ask the question in this day and age, Neil. That's how confusing it is to somebody like me. What is it to you who seems to understand a hell of a lot more than most humans? Was that because you were an old, unwoke? <laughs> I'm trying to be woke. That's the sad You're part about it. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be understanding. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be understanding. My, my, my daughter said to me, Dad, get with the times. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that happens. Dad, you got to be embracing okay, first, and receptive to all things. I'm like, okay. Let me agree. Let me, let me throw you a lifeline okay. here and say, I don't think we will ever be as woke as the next generation. So okay. Put that Thank out you. There, Thank okay? you so much for letting. No matter me how know. hard we Let try, let me know that. Thank you so much. Okay, so um, I actually spend a whole chapter on that very subject, and it's called uh, gender and identity. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's the issue is simpler than you have attempted. Okay. to present. Okay, it, all right. So if you look at our our our, our chromosomes, all right, um, they can be XX or XY. Right. That I know, and that, and that is that's binary. That is, there's male and there's female. And there's some variance on that that's a very small percentage of the total. But I want to focus on those two for the moment. That's male and female. Okay. So now let's move past that and say, uh, do those chromosomes manifest in society? Okay. All right. So stay with me now. I'm saying. Do they manifest? I'm right here. So now I, I did this experiment. I was on the New York City subway. It was in the winter. Everyone has a, a big coat on. And so I'm just looking at heads sticking out of the, the winter coats. And I said, why do I know who's male and who's female as I go down the line? This is just a simple question I ask myself. And I say, well, these six people are female. Those four are male. Why, do I, why am I sure of that? I was sure of it because... What I was queuing on, queuing on were, were, were features that are secondary and tertiarily added to a person's appearance. So all the girls, compared to the boys, I looked at, whole, what are the girls doing? They have, on average, longer earrings. 
They have two earrings. They have, on average, longer hair. They have eyeliner. They have tweezed eyebrows, longer nails, on average, painted nails. They have um, uh, makeup, a, a, a blush, okay? They, and if there was any hair on their upper lip, that got that got uh, um, removed, tweezed, or what's it with the laser, yes. right? Got removed. Any hair between the eyebrows, removed. If it's all trimmed there, and I said, those are the girls. What are they wearing? They're wearing girls' clothes. Well, how do I know they're girls' clothes? Just go to the store. They know how to sell you girls' clothes. There's a whole section for just girls and women, okay? I'm just saying girls and boys. How about the boys? Oh, um, the boys. If there's anyone who is a little thin and flabby, they went to the gym. So they walk, they're sitting down, and they got some muscles they can show you. And they've got, yeah. And they might have, grow a beard and a mustache because that's a manly thing to do. And they're wearing boy clothes because they went to the boy section of the store to get it. Mm. And if the women's chest is not as large as she wants it, she goes and gets surgery to make it bigger as 300,000 American women do every year. Yes. I know several. You're right. Okay. Yes. So, so my point is apparently the XXXY chromosomes are insufficient. Because when we wake up in the morning, we exaggerate whatever feature we want to portray the gender of our choice. Mm. Either the one you're assigned, the one you choose to be, whatever it is. And so now, here, so, so now just to, to tie a bow on this, I say to you, somewhere I read, somewhere I, I think I read that the United States was a land where we have the pursuit of happiness. Yes. Suppose no matter my chromosomes, today I feel 80% female, 20% male. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on makeup. I'm gonna do that. Um, tomorrow I might feel 80% male. I'll remove the makeup and I'll wear a muscle shirt. Why do you care? Yeah. What, 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 what business it, is it of yours to require that I fulfill your inability to think of gender on a spectrum. And what I found in the human mind is that we go out of our way to put things in categories, in bins, mm -hmm. all right? Because that makes it easier for us. Mm -hmm. So that's why people come up to you and say, well, you were a boy, you're a, are you a girl, choose one. Which are you? They say, no, maybe I'm a little well, of both. Wait, 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 maybe I'm a little of both. No, you have to be one or the mm -hmm. other. No, I will not be what you require just because you can't think on a spectrum, I'm going to be what I want to be. And we have known this as children. Every single class, there was the girl who was the tom. We have words for them. Tomboy. There's the tomboy who wore boys' clothes, right. who got dirty with the boys. And she didn't have long hair. She had short hair. And even if she did have long hair, it was tied up in a bun so it didn't get in the mm. way. We uh, Do you know Joan of Arc? Yes. Do, do you know why? She, Half the reason why she was burned at the stake back in the 1400s, most people don't know. I, I check, ask people, they don't know. Half, the reasons brought against her was for cross-dressing, for dressing like a man. Now, if she's going to lead uh, soldiers into battle on a horse, you can't do that in a skirt riding side saddle, okay? So, of course, she's going to wear pants, all right? But here's a very early example of someone who didn't fit a gender category held by others. Mm. And all I'm saying is in the 
people I identified as female and male on the train, if some of those females were chromosomally male, it didn't matter to me. I, I'd see them as female. That's how they present. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that. Okay. Now you're a sports guy. Okay. How does this matter? All right. It matters. Of course. All right. People say, well, how about bathrooms? Well, that's an easy solution. Just have single sex. I mean, you have um, uh, uh, unisex. Uh, unisex bathrooms. Right. Okay. And here in New York city, we, I haven't seen it much in other places, but you have unisex bathrooms and you come out and there's a sink in a common area. All right. So everybody sees you put on makeup or whatever. It's kind of, mm -hmm. I, I kind of like that actually. <laughs> but um, so, uh, so there's that. And how about like sports? Okay. That's interesting. So what do you do with the trans woman who went through puberty as a man with male hormones and now she can kick ass in the women's sports? So what do you do? All right. So this is trailing on our solution chart. Okay. Uh, so, so it's, it's next maybe. Right. And I have some ideas, but I think it can benefit from clever people coming to the table. For example, for example, suppose we no longer contest genders, male and female. Okay. Uh, by the way, why did we do that ever at all? We did it so that the contests would be more evenly yes. balanced. Equality, yes. Okay. You correct. don't want LeBron James in the WNBA. Co correct. Okay, that's not interesting if he played in the WNBA. People would not flock to those games to watch him dominate. That is not what's interesting. And evidence of this, a better evidence of this is we all enjoy college football on, on Saturdays. Okay? And then what happens on Sundays? We watch pro football, but you realize the best college team there ever was would lose to the worst professional team there. The worst professional team there ever was could wipe their ass with the best college team there ever was. You know why? Because everyone in the NFL was the single best player in their college. Okay. <laughs> so, so you don't want to watch, you're not looking at high school, you're not looking at college football saying, oh, none of these players are as good as mm -hmm. pros. I'm not going to watch this game. That's not why you're watching yeah. it. You're watching it for the contest. Mm -hmm. And the least interesting Super Bowl is the one that's a blowout. Yeah. The advertisers at the fourth quarter are saddened by that because people stop watching. Mm -hmm. It's the contest that matters. So watch. Here's what you do. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm just tossing this okay, out there. Okay, I'm listening. Imagine sports was not boys versus girls. Imagine you contested hormone levels. Mm. That's all. Because there's some women who have very naturally high testosterone levels. They would dominate playing against other women. Well, that's not fair. Put her in with other people with higher testosterone levels. Against men with low testosterone levels. What's against that? men with low testosterone levels? Is that what you're proposing? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. So you match that up and have them play against each other. Right. And, and well, you might say, well, that's a lot of categories. So I used to wrestle. And in wrestling, mm -hmm. we have 10 categories. That's the meat. 10, the wrestling match. 10 categories. You don't wrestle the 200-pounder mm -hmm. against the 120-pounder? Mm -hmm. No. The 120-pounder against the 120-pounder. We naturally do this for so many other sports. That to say, well, oh my gosh, we shouldn't embrace transgenderism because what would we do with our sports? That's not being very creative. Mm. 
In fact, that's just being intellectually lazy. It, Figure it out. There are, we can do I'm, it. We've done it with other I'm going to I'm gonna end this interview by asking you this last question because I'm fascinated. I could talk to you for hours, and I really appreciate your time. But I'm going to ask you this question because when you talked earlier, you and you just highlighted it could be lazy, um, be a bit more creative, be a bit more receptive, uh, figure it out, as you would say. But that's not what human beings are usually inclined to do, as you well know. <laughs> you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, that folks are in search of stability. Not necessarily finite, but something finite enough, at least in certain categories, where we're able to definitively say, this is black, this is white, this is female, this is male, this is science, this is religion. The list could go on and on, but there's something definitive. And in a world that we live in, it's advantageous, as some people may say, that is for our society. Clearly, there are folks that have differed from that, but don't necessarily go in your direction. They're different. Because they have an interest of a personal nature that they want to serve that is for their betterment as opposed to being for the betterment of society. So going forward, in the end, you said earlier you still maintain a strong level of hope for the future about where we are and where we're going. But when you consider that reality, is there reason for others to feel as enthusiastic? As you may feel. Well, you, there's a lot in that. <laughs> you just <laughs> laid out a whole. All right. Uh, let me let me back up to where you started there. So, uh, yes, we are intellectually lazy yes. because we'd rather assign labels to people than actually have a conversation to learn who and what they actually okay. are. Plus, when you label people, you get to say that someone is not you and not possibly recognize that there's a continuum of people that stretch from you to this other thing that you've decided you don't like or that you hate. All right. So, and this goes all the way back. It's, for example, the reason why Obama was considered America's first black president, but he was exactly half white. All right. No one calls him a white president. They call him a black president. Right. Because we, we bin things in this way and you're either this or you're that. All right. I think we have the capacity to think on a continuum. All right, I'll give evidence of this. Uh, one of the problems when a crime is committed, the police ask, well, can you identify the perpetrator? Were they black or white or Hispanic or Asian? And there might be a fifth other category. This oh, it was a black man who took my wallet. Then I get picked up down the road because I'm in this one out of four category black man now sought after by the police. Now, Really? We're going to bend the entirety of humanity walking the streets of the United States into five categories as, and claim that that's going to somehow help the police? Whereas you walk into a pharmacy and you go to the hair aisle, there's like 200 boxes of hair color, okay? Intended for women and each, but nothing to help a receding box. hairline. But nothing to help a receding hairline. Nothing. Dude, well, go ahead. That's your trademark. Nothing. Don't don't mess I'm that still, up. I'm if still you... looking for something to get my hairline going. <laughs> I still can't find it. But go ahead. Last seen in 1988. Right. <laughs> go ahead. No. So 
So, so they're all, and there's a different model on the cover of each box. And each box is a hair color with a name. A, there's a term for that hair color. And, and it doesn't stop there. Interior designers. Do you know that Benjamin Moore has 150 different shades of white? Okay. Yeah. So colors that have the word white in them. That's white. Let's forget the brown or black. Just white. So I say to myself, if interior designers can do it, hair colorists can do it, why can't the police do it? So the police should have, they should just whip out a Benjamin Moore catalog and have people pick, pick the skin color, pick the hair color, and then you're not binning people into races, which is so blunt and so, so susceptible to bias and to error and to people getting picked up wrongly, yes. dying in the custody of the cops. So many things could be cured if we stop thinking in this binary way. Or even in the, in the in the in ways that that split it into just a few categories when it's a continuum. Will there, is there any hope for that? I don't know. Yes, <laughs> I'm trying. Exactly. I'm trying, but I've I I think I've correctly identified the problem that people are just intellectually lazy. And I forgot who said this. Uh, there's a quote, something mm -hmm. that goes something like, uh, "There's no greater pain to the human mind." than the prospect of a new idea. <laughs> That's right. I love that. I love that phrase. It's true. Neil deGrasse Tyson, man, listen, I, I mean, you, talking to you, you just walk away smarter. And you walk away thinking that you wasn't intellectually lazy, but damn it, maybe you were. Until you talk to and by you. The way, and we both, we've both been parodied on SNL by Keenan Thompson. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Absolutely. <laughs> Man, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Fascinating conversation. I love talking to you, and I'm sure I'm going to do it again. I'm sure we'll do it again. All the best to you, man. Thank you so much. You got it. Thanks All for right, having buddy. me. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.